Um, few, I say a few months ago, it feels like ages ago, it was only a few weeks ago. Beginning of September, Kate and I went on holiday to Turkey, all-inclusive. Oh, come on, I grew up on that stuff, man, all-inclusive. And um, one of the things that was all-inclusive on this holiday was water skiing. This exci- excites me more than it excites you. You have, you've had about the same reaction Kate had when I said her that, told her that water skiing was included, but I was very excited about this. And I couldn't believe that this kind of activity was included as part of you know, the holiday, because usually you have to pay like, through the teeth for that kind of stuff. So I, one, one morning we got up really early and I signed up for the uh, introduction to water skiing. And um, we, we got to the end of this pier where you have to get on the boat to do the water skiing, and I put on squeezed into the life jacket, if I'm really honest. And, um, and one of the guys stood up um, just after I signed up and said, look, if, if you're a beginner today, the water is very choppy. It's very dangerous. So we'd, we'd, we'd recommend you not do it, but if you want to, then you can. So at this stage already, my expectation was pretty low. The water was choppy, but three years into marriage, I'm still fixed on trying to impress Kate. So I said, no. I'm not like other beginners. I will take the water on at my own peril. And so a few minutes later, I was, I was, like, I was um, suited up in these, um, in these water skis, and, um, and I jumped into the water, immediately took a mouthful of salt water, and started choking just like a couple of feet off of the pier, just looking ridiculous, everyone around sort of floating there. Already a bit of a disaster. And then, and then, uh, then I was told that you have to kind of like swim out um, to where the boats are. So I had these skis on, they were sort of like pushed up like this, and I was swimming out trying to get to these boats, and three or four people overtook me and got there in front of me, and I, it, was, it was awful. There's videos of this that Kate has that um, will, never, will never be seen. But, and I got there, and, and basically, what, as I got there, I realized that one of the water skis had come off of my foot. And it was, it was a disaster. I think, oh, this flipping water ski's come off my foot and it's floating next to me. And all of the, all of the, all of the Turkish people who were, who were driving the boats are like, oh, don't be silly, just put it back on. But I have an overly developed abdomen, which means that, that trying to do this in the middle of the water and like put the ski back on my foot, it just doesn't happen. I feel my vital organs compressing when I put my socks on in the morning, let alone a water ski in the middle of the ocean. So I thought, well, okay, well, I just need to go back to the pier and I've got to try this again. So I swam back to the pier. So 20 minutes later, got back to it and put on the water ski again, jumped in the water again, took another mouthful of, uh, of, of salt water. My expectations at this point were very, very low. Anyway, I went out again and, um, and this time the boat kind of came around to pick me up and I missed the thing that you're supposed to hold on to. The guy just drove off. My expectations were even lower at this point. The guy just drove off, picked up another couple of people and then came back for the chubby Englishman a few minutes later. And finally I grabbed it. I managed to, to grab the rope. But by this point, if I'm honest, I had no expectation that I was going to be able to water ski. And I held on to the thing and... Uh, the, the boat pulled off and I felt the, the, uh, the rope thing go tense and I got maybe like a couple foot in the air and then just face planted the water. And I tried it a second time. I really didn't want to try it a second time. I'm there coughing and spluttering, but the guy, the Turkish guy was telling me, you've got to try it a second time. I tried it a second time. Exactly the same thing happened. And instead of helping me get back, so we're even further out at this point, the guy just drove off in the boat and left me um, quite a way off from the pier just there in the water. And so half an hour later, I was reunited with Kate. 
The point of that ridiculous story is simply this, that by the time I actually grabbed the rope, by the time it came to actually trying to water ski, I had zero expectation that I was actually going to be able to do it. And so guess what? I didn't do it. I was unable to do it. My expectation was so low that I couldn't do it. In other words, my expectation defined my outcome. I realize that this isn't uh, just about me water skiing on holiday, but we see this in psychology too. I read a study recently which aimed to look in a school setting whether expectations can positively influence student performance. The study was carried out in the 1960s by Harvard psychologist Robert Rosenthal together with elementary school principal Lenore Jacobson in order to determine whether teacher expectations would influence student motivation and performance, they told teachers that certain students were expected to be high achievers based on their results and from a specialized Harvard test. In reality, however, the students had been chosen at random. Rosenthal and Jacobson followed these students over the next couple of years to see how the teachers' expectations would affect them. Sure enough, they found that the students from whom the teachers expected more were more likely to have made larger gains in their academic performance. This psychological phenomenon is now known as the Pygmalion effect. The idea behind it is that when lower expectations are placed upon us, whether by ourselves or others, our performance goes down. And the, and the converse is true as well, that when higher expectations are put upon us, our performance goes up. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like the cultural water that we're swimming in at the moment is one of pretty low expectation. Low expectation politically, many of us low expectation socially. We have this idea that if we just keep our expectations low, then we can't be disappointed. That our expectations just will no way match up to reality. One of my favorite pastimes when I take my phone to the toilet is to look at memes of expectation versus reality. I think we've got a few to show you. I find these so funny. We've got a couple coming up. No, we haven't got that. That's okay. <laughs> so often... We expect that reality won't meet our expectations. I, I, I was Googling this as well about expectation leading up to preaching today. And the first three articles I got were this. A Telegraph article that said, the key to happiness, low expectations. An article from Psychology Today said, the secret to compassion, low expectations. This one made me laugh. The Guardian's uh, article entitled, the secret to a happy marriage. Low expectations. Culturally, we be often believe that, oh, here we go. Let's just do this. There we go. Expectation versus reality is a gingerbread house. Some nails there. Great Wall of China, I think. Yeah. That's my favorite one. By far, any baking project I, um, I go on is that. So culturally, we, we, we often have low expectations. We suppress our expectations because then we can't be disappointed. Maybe you feel like that tonight. Maybe you feel like you, you have low expectations for your life. Maybe you feel you have low expectations for your, for your friendships, low expectations. You, maybe, maybe you're asking yourself what your aspirations are. But the truth is that, that often this kind of cultural viewpoint completely dismisses the idea that our expectations are 
active. That often what we expect defines what we see. As the Pygmalion effect says, that when we expect good things, often it's more likely that those things will happen. When we expect bad things of our life, we, we, we don't see them. And as Christians, we are called to be expectant. To be people of high expectation. The highest expectation. We're called to be people that when we meet here in a converted auction house and play a few chords on a guitar, that we meet with the living God. We have astronomically high expectations and we live in a legacy of expectation as well. The people of God have always been a people called to have great expectations of God. You know, the people of Israel were, were, were called to expect that God would rescue them, would deliver them when they were enslaved in Egypt. They were called to expect that, that when they had been delivered and were in the wilderness, that God's presence would be in the midst of them and would lead them and guide them. Even when, when all of Israel was plundered and broken and all the people were sent off into exile, they were called to expect that God would rescue them. Ultimately, that God would send a Messiah to, to, to spread their glory as a people and his glory as their God to the ends of the earth. And as Christians, we're joined up in this story as well. We're called to expect that God has spoken fully and finally in the person of Jesus. That God has shown his love fully in the person of Jesus. That God has shown his character fully in the person of Jesus. That God has shown his greatest love fully by the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me and was resurrected again that we might have life. We're called to expect that, that Jesus pours his spirit, that God pours his spirit out on you and me and sends his church to partner with him in seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. We're supposed to be people of great expectation, constant expectation, perpetual expectation. But the problem is we're not. So often we're not. If you're anything like me, you, 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 you can survive off like an intellectual um, appetite of God. I know God loves me. I know it's good to worship. I know I'm going to hear a sermon for 20 or 25 minutes tonight. We, we're, we're, we're bloated on information, but when it comes to expecting that God is actually with us, that we are God's plan A, his church for reaching this city, for reaching the people around us, our expectation often is nil. This is the problem. And I honestly believe tonight that if we can grasp this simple idea that we are called to be an expectant people, to expect every moment of every day that God is with us, wants to speak to us, wants to work through us, our city will be a different place this time next week. And two people that hold this posture of expectation really well that we see in the Bible are Simeon and Anna, two people who live in constant expectation of God. In the message version of this passage, Eugene Peterson translates it as that these were people who lived in prayerful expectancy for the consolation of Israel. In other words, prayerful expectancy that God would show up and make all things well. And you and I tonight are called to mirror this level of expectation. 
This big expectation that God is writing a story in our world and in our lives that will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back, that all things will be made new, all things will be made well, that when we arrive on eternity's shore, death will have no hold and something no more. <laughs> It'll be beautiful anyway, won't it? Let's get to the chorus. We're called to have these big expectations of the story that God's writing in eternity, but also the expectation that God wants to meet with us here and now to bring that about. These were two people who had expectation of God's big story and an expectation that God might dare to use them, maybe even them, maybe even old Anna and Simeon, who we know nothing about, even these ordinary people, that he might use them to bring this kingdom about. So I want to look at three things tonight from the text. And firstly, I want to look at a couple things that, that when Luke's setting up this passage that I think are really interesting and important for us to see tonight. Why don't we open, if you've got a Bible on you, maybe on your smartphone, why don't you open with me and we'll follow through. Luke 2. Let's see if I can find it myself. Great, so it says this, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Let's skip down to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow, until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. The first thing we notice about this passage is that Luke doesn't seem bothered about biographical detail. We don't know anything about Simeon. We don't know what he does for a living. We don't know what his social status is. We don't really know where he's from. We don't know his age, whether he has any family. We presume he's old, but we're not told that. We're given no biographical detail, but what we are given is that Simeon was a man righteous and devout, and the Spirit of God was upon him. Similarly with, with, with Anna, with this, this old widowed lady, you know, that some scholars think that when uh, the scriptures refer to her being 84, it means 84 years after she was widowed. So this woman could be 105 years old, spending all of her time, all of her days, all of her energy, all of her passion, pouring out the feet of Jesus in worship, in prayer, in fasting. We're told that she's from the tribe of Asher, but Asher, being one of the tribes of Israel, was, was, was important, but they weren't one of the most significant tribes. They didn't ever furnish Israel with a real hero or a judge. They weren't one of the leading parts in the story. What is Luke's point? Luke's point is that the most important thing to say about both these people is not where they're from, not their age, not their gender, not their social class, but that they were devoted to God. That they had given themselves fully to God. That they were people of expectation that God was with them, that they were righteous and devout, and that the Spirit was upon them. In other words, I think the, the point Luke's trying to make is that this can be you and me. We have the opportunity tonight to step into being the kind of people that Simeon and Anna are. People given over to God. Living in an expectation that God will stay true to his word and dare to use us to bring it about. We are Simeon and Anna. 
The other point I want to make tonight is that Johnny's sermon last week, looking at a posture of seeking. In these passages, we don't see any divide between seeking God passionately, seeking his presence, his glory, and expecting him to move. You know, so often we get this wrong. We think that either we have to stay and hide in the prayer room, or we're just out seeking the action on the streets. It's complete nonsense. When we seek God for who he is, we seek his presence when we are hungry for his glory and to see his face above everything else. We can't help but join in with what he's doing. And he is moving. It's often said that many of the great saints in Christian history just wanted a life alone with God. Amen. That they were people who were just so hungry for God that really what they sought was just to be in solitude and just to be in a hermitage and, and to pray and to be with God. But it's often said that as these, as these saints were moving towards solitude, they found that Jesus was running the other way towards the city. So many of these saints that turned down titles and positions later realized that those same titles and positions enabled them to join in with the movement of God. The point is this, we cannot, we cannot expect to seek God, seek God's presence without expecting his movement. We cannot seek God's presence without expecting his movement. So the first expectation I think we see in this passage from verse 25. Have a sip of my drink. Is the expectation, the expectation that God is with us. Verse 25 says this. Luke 2 says that Simeon was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. God was with him. What would it look like for us to be a people that expected daily, minute by minute, that God was, is with us? What would that look like? I think it would mean that we saw every place in our lives as a place of God's presence. We saw every place in our lives as a place where God was hungry to speak to us, to transform us, to work through us. That every place was fresh ground for God to do what he does. I love the Kim Walker Smith lyric. I heard it years ago. She's an American songwriter. And she's got this lyric that says, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. God, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room because you're here. Because I live with expectation that you are with me. You know, God challenged me recently. He said, George, do you talk to me as much as you talk about me? Do you talk to me as much as you have interesting or maybe not so interesting theological conversations about me? Do you talk to me as much as you talk about Christian culture and the church down the road? I don't want to talk about you, God, like you're not in the room. I want to recognize your presence with me. I think it means we would bring more of ourselves to God because if, we, if we're aware that God is actually with us and we expect him to be with us, then we know that he's with us when we're, when we're feeling it. He, we know that he's with us when we're lower than low or on a bad ebb. He knows that, he's, that, that we know that he's with us when we're swearing and frustrated, we know that he's with us when we're partying. I think it would mean that we give ourselves to God in a new way. We give more of ourselves to God, more fully, more honestly. 
I think expecting that God is with us means that we stop trying to prove ourselves. We stop trying to care so much about what other people think. Anna, this 84-year-old woman who maybe had been widowed for all of those 84 years, gave all her time to worshipping God and to praying. There must have been people, right, that thought that she was just some old, crazy eccentric. Like, what is she doing? She's worshipping more than the religious leaders. Oh, she's a bit pious. She's a bit overly zealous, isn't she, Anna? She's a bit intense. Should we, should, we, should we invite her over for dinner? Should we ask her to get out a little bit more? So, oh, that'd be great. I'm actually praying now. I'd love to come for dinner, but I'm actually fasting now. Because I have such an expectation that God is with me. That ultimately, I love you, but his opinion matters more to me than yours does. The only person I've got to prove myself to, and even God I don't need to prove myself to, but the only person that I need to seek affirmation from is Jesus, and he's already given it fully. If we expect that God is with us, we have all the attention that we need. If we live with the expectation that God is with us, I think we also see other people properly. If, I, if I'm living with the expectation that, Lord, God, you're with me, right now, even as I'm speaking now, that I can't help but look at this other person through your eyes, or at least ask to see this person through your eyes. I want to see this person properly. And it's the same expectation that led Anna and Simeon to see Jesus properly. Not just as another baby in the temple, but as the Messiah. As the one whom God has sent to make all things right. I think we see people properly, even the people that annoy us. When we recognize God's presence with us, we look at them and I, I, I see you as someone that Christ has died for. I, I, I see you as someone who, who God has given everything for. I want to see you properly. I want to see you through the eyes of love, through compassion. Rowan Williams says that the most beautiful thing about communion is that we come together expecting God to be there and we see one another properly. Not through our own prejudices, but through the eyes of Jesus. Lord, please let me be more expectant for you when I'm as old as Anna than I am now. Let me be at my most expectant when I'm 105, if I get that doubtful with this diet at the moment. But it could happen. Let me be more expectant for you. The second expectation, God speaks to us. Again, verse 25. It says, Simeon was a man righteous and devout. The Spirit was upon him, and the Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before he saw the Christ, God's Messiah. The Spirit revealed to him. Our second expectation is the expectation that God wants to speak to us. What would it look like if we actually believed every day that God wanted to speak to us? You see, this, this instance should strike us for the, for the people that were around that this Simeon had, been, had this revelation from, Holy, from the Holy Spirit that, that, that it was special, that this was something unique. But as Jesus follows, we are all filled with the Spirit of God and we can live with the expectation that God wants to speak to us through prayer, through Scripture, through our friends, maybe even through the sermon, through the little nudges. His spirit will give us every day. What would it look like for me to expect that God wants to speak to me? How would my attitude towards the Bible change? 
Is it possible that if I actually believed that, I would, I would open the Bible with a joy, with a vigor, with an ecstasy. Lord, I believe that you want to speak to me, that your Holy Spirit has inspired these words, that these aren't dull, dry words, but they have the power to transform lives. And that these transformed lives transform cities. I would want to spend longer in God's presence. I would hunger for his, for his word. So often our expectation defines our outcome. You know, recently, if you've been in here, you might have heard me, uh, I've begun feeling the Lord give me some, sometimes some weird and wonderful words to share, words of knowledge we call them, which is when God maybe gives, gives one of us, one of his people, a detail, an insight into someone's life that they couldn't have known any other way simply so that that person would know that God love, loves them, he knows them, and that he wants to meet with them. I've stood up here and talked about peeled tomatoes, Great Western trains, smashed Kilner jars, Mario Brothers on GameCube. Crazy stuff. And you know what? God's, God's, God's used it. But I, I, these things don't pop into my head. I'm not sat at the front. I don't get a vision of the angel Gabriel coming down and passing me a scroll and here are the weird things to say this week at Sunday evening. It's when I open myself with expectation and say, God, I believe that you're wanting to speak to all of us in this room. I believe you're wanting to speak to me. Would you speak to me now? Have you got something to say? Have you got something to say that could open up the life of your kingdom right now? Does that make sense? I come with expectation. If I don't expect, then I won't hear. Do we expect God to speak to us through others, through the people who love us, the people we trust, do we, do we hold our friendships with the kind of posture that I expect that God is going to use you to speak to me? I expect that there are going to be things that God speaks to you, to, to me through you that I'm not going to be able to receive any other way. Do we hold our friendships like that? And the third expectation I want to look, look at is, the, is the expectation that God works through us. The expectation that God works through us. It says that, that the Spirit moved Simeon to go to the temple the Spirit moves him into, to go to the temple and there he meets Mary and Joseph and he sees Jesus for who he is and the Spirit moves him in that moment to prophesy this incredible, this incredible prophecy. You know, often, often it's, it, some scholars think that Anna and Simeon are the, are the first people in the whole Bible to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Some even believe before Mary, but Mary's still at this point, oh, Messiah, but I don't really, I haven't got all the pieces together. Simeon was moved by the Spirit and had an expectation, lived in expectation that God might move through him. What would it look like for us to believe that God wants to move through us? What would that look like? What would it look like for each of us in here to enter a room, whatever room we're in, and ask God, God, what do you want to do? What are you doing how can I partner with you? How can I be a part of what you're doing here? What would it look like to walk into a cafe and when we're, when we're on our own, not to default to just playing something on our phone or pretending that we're texting, like people are texting us all the time and we know we're not. We're just lining up YouTubes for later on. What would it look like for us to, for us to walk to work or to commute without headphones, just to, just to, just to, just to say, God, what are you doing? What do you want to say? What do you want to do in this place? How might you want to move through me? Expecting, and I really want you to hear this, expecting that you are God's 
Plan A for him meeting with the people that you spend your life around. I'm going to say that again. Expecting that you are God's plan A for him meeting with the people that you spend your life around. That you are Jesus' hands and feet. The great stories aren't just for the, for, the, for the preachers or hidden away in Christian books. That The great stories are just ordinary people with an extraordinary expectation that God could use them. That God could move through them. They don't have to have the right words. They don't have to feel holy. They don't even have to be having a good day. They just have to be expectant. As a Christian, I'm filled with your spirit. And Lord, I expect that as part of your church, you might, you might use me. You want to use me to reach people for you. What would it look like if we believed that God wanted to work through our prayers? How would I pray differently? Well, how would I pray if I actually believed that my prayers made a difference? That the prayers I pray were the difference between, between someone continuing to live in captivity and someone being brought up by Jesus in freedom? What would, what would happen if we prayed the kind of prayers that we believe when we prayed them? They shifted spiritual atmospheres over the city. What would that look like? We're bloated on information, but we are lacking expectation. We are bloated on the theory of the gospel. We are bloated on the theory of the gospel. The people we meet on the streets, God loves you. Yeah, I know, but God loves everyone. People are looking for a demonstration of God's love through his people. We are bloated on a theoretical gospel and Jesus wants to give us a gospel of expectation that the church isn't peripheral to God's plans that he'll pick up every now and then when he fancies it. We are God's plan. Filled with his spirit to see his kingdom come until he brings it into fulfillment fully on his return. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you pray the prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done? That's praying a prayer to say, Lord, I'm open if you want to use me as well. I'm going to finish with a monologue in case I've lost you somewhere between the 15 and 20 minute mark. <laughs> and then we're going to take communion together. You okay? What if we really expected that God wanted to fulfill his plans and purposes through the church? Not the church staff team or church programs but through you and through me. Expecting for God to show up in our everyday lives and be with us, speak to us, and move through us. I recently found myself praying outside of a church, facing towards the city and asking God that he would awaken every Christian to his presence. Where they were on hospital wards, in coffee shops. Not to create more church programs, but to release more of his church, the people, you and me, where we are. What if you actually believed that you were God's plan A for reaching those that you spend your time around every day? What if you and I believed that, that for our neighbors, for our friends, for the people in our favorite music shops and cafes? In the church, we don't have a problem with, it, with people expecting too much of God, but expecting too little We need kingdom-sized expectations, simian-sized expectations. The kind of expectations that when we see God do it, we can say, take me, I can die happy. And that only is his presence. 
that only is seeing his presence return to our city and to the church. Sometimes we can still believe, at least on a functional level, that the church is a peripheral thing that God can choose to use every now and then if he pleases. But the church is God's plan A. His hands and his feet on this earth, filled by the Spirit to do even greater things than Jesus did. To preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons. To demonstrate his love and goodness and restoration and reconciliation and freedom in all that we do. What if we expected God to be with us in such a way that when we opened our Bibles, the words came alive to us and sunk deep in our hearts? What if we expected God to speak to us in such a way that our whole lives, desires, and priorities were reoriented around him every single day? What if we prayed expecting that our prayers were loosing chains and shifting spiritual atmospheres across our world, even when we're not feeling it? What if we're not seeing more of what we want to see because we don't really expect it to happen? Least of all through us. Expectation is active. The more we expect that God is with us, the more we will recognize him to be. The more we expect that God is wanting to speak to us, the more we will notice him and hear him speaking. The more we expect him to work through us, the more we will see him work powerfully through us. The expectations we live with define the lives that we live out. If each of us could grasp this by his Holy Spirit tonight as we come to communion, as we share bread and wine... I believe Nottingham could be a different place by this time next week. I, believe, I actually believe that. I actually believe that. If all of us, every one of us in this room grasped that, expected God's kingdom to break in where we were this time tomorrow, if all of us expected that, I believe this city would be different. Amen. Amen.